First Chronicles 29.11 says, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Jesus as Lord over everything. The victory. Praise the Lord. Romans chapter number 2. Romans chapter 2. We will continue right where we left off last time we were in Romans and continue to go verse by verse through this wonderful book. I honestly cannot wait to get to Midway's chapter 3 where this dialogue begins to turn a little. We begin to talk about the foundations of justification, the foundations of sanctification, the basis for your salvation. Thank God for the book of Romans that we have access to this truth that the Apostle Paul has written for us and that God has preserved in his word. I love singing songs. I love quoting verses. I love embracing the authority of God's word. And I stand and I fight so strongly against anything that would try to remove or to uh, somehow alter the preeminence of God's word. We must have the word of God in its rightful place. And I'm thankful that the heritage around here, the legacy that God's given us is that of one that protects the word of God. If we don't have the word of God, there's nothing for us to be here for tonight. But I'm thankful that the word is true. Romans chapter 2, we'll read verse 3 and 4 to give us the entire thought here. We'll pray and then we'll tear this apart. We're going to focus mainly tonight on verse number 4. There's a thought here that we're going to kind of go word by word because every turn that the Apostle Paul makes here, it's like an atomic bomb of truth that just hits us hard. And so we're going to look at Verse number four, very carefully tonight. Let's read this together. Romans 2 and go to verse number three. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doth doeth the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God. And last week we talked about that specifically, God as our judge. I'll say more about that in a moment. And then here it is, verse number four. Or despisest thou the riches of of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Notice that last phrase there that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, for a few minutes, Lord, we thank you for what we've already felt here. God, my heart, my spirit bears witness to what Pastor Nathan said. God, that you've given us the victory. Lord, that you've already written the final chapter. We know how this ends. But Lord, as we long for your coming and as we tarry in this day, God, I pray that you would fortify your people. God, I pray that you would solidify the truth of your word in our heart and in our lives. God, I thank you for the sweet presence of God that we felt here on Sunday. God, I thank you for moving in our communion. I thank you that we were able to remember the cross, the blood, the sacrifice, the crushing of our Savior in Gethsemane. And Jesus, we once again honor, we magnify your name for coming to a place, God, where you would accept that Jesus would die 
and that it would be a perfect sacrifice, a perfect remedy for my sin. Lord, I'm thankful for that. Lord, we're thankful for what we experienced here in the service on Sunday night. God, for the brokenness, Lord, the burden you laid on our shoulders, the heaviness of that burden that has followed us even into this week as we have prayed for our children and the future generations of our church. Now, Lord, we know what you've put in our hearts. We know what you have before us. And Lord, now we are following you. We are trusting you. We yet again cast ourselves at the mercy of Christ and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Take this time together in your word. Hide me behind the cross. May your word be ever true. And Father, would it penetrate each heart and life that's in this room tonight, worshiping online. In Jesus' name, we all say together, amen. We talked about this judge, and I'm not going to spend any more time than this reviewing this. If you missed what would have been Sermon 16 on Romans, go back and embrace all of that about God as our judge. But this judge, I'm going to give you these very specific dealings. If you missed that message, you can go back and kind of fill this in. But God, as our judge, deals with people in three different ways and really uh, three different categories of the judge's dealings. Number one, that judge, our God, and the way he deals with the godless, those who are not saved, those who are lost and on their way into an eternity without God. Then that second judgment, that second type of judgment, that second dealing from our judge, the same judge, a different dealing, uh, with all men in general, all men in general, the general revelation of God, that God exists. You cannot walk outside and see the sun shining and hear the birds chirping and watch the breeze go through the trees and not have something say to you in what you're beholding that there's something bigger than you, something more powerful than you, even in, in creation, even in what we see outside these walls, uh, God is revealed and his dealings with all men in general. And then lastly, and this was the good part of that message, the judge's gracious dealings with faithful disciples, those who belong to him. And we talked about how those folks, those people, when they stand before the judge, because everyone will stand for judgment, it doesn't matter if we uh, want to participate or we choose to believe that Jesus was the Christ or that he was the Messiah, that's irrelevant to the fact that every man will stand before this judge. And there are a particular group of people, we talked about it Sunday morning, the bride of Christ. Here again, we're tying all this together. The bride of Christ, those who are part of the church, when they stand before that judge, there's a different look in the judge's eye. There's a different countenance on that judge's face. And because of that different look upon the judge's face, and because of the different countenance that we will behold upon the face of the judge, those that are in Christ, those who do believe, uh, they will experience a different judge. And the way that he will deal with them will not be as one who is condemned, not as one who is even convicted. He will look at that participant. He will look at that member of the body. He will look even at his own children. And he will say, this person, this soul is covered by the blood of my son Jesus. The sentence passed down is the judgment has been stayed. Everything has been covered. There's nothing more to discuss. And that judgment is done. It's over. The gracious dealings of that judge. And we talked about that in detail. This will be the third and the final time I'll mention this 
verse, but it ties back in. And I love making sure that everybody at least gets an opportunity to make a note of this and go back and study it. But we talked about what we find in the book of John, the word phos. Who can, who can tell me for the free ice cream cone of the night what the word phos means? First person to say it out loud. Light. I heard it over here. I actually think it was my dad. No, I think, was it you, Brother Ed? Who was it? Karen Disher. Did you get it first? All right, free ice cream of the night to Miss Karen. We talked about that word light. And many times in the New Testament, most of the time in the New Testament, when we see that word light, the word is phos. And it talked about man's natural hatred for the phos. Man's natural disdain for light because of what light does. An unsaved, unregenerated person does not want their shortcomings exposed. No one who has unforgiven sin wants to stand in front of that much exposing light. And the Bible says that men hate the light. Those who are saved despise the light. And then we found the verse that connected that word phos to our Lord and Savior himself. That shows, that proves that Jesus is the phos, that Jesus is the light. And so what the Bible's teaching, the principle the Apostle Paul was telling this church is that when men are actually hating against or reviling against light, they're hating Jesus. They hate who Jesus is by their natural born state. And then the requirement of that judgment because of sin, because of God's holiness, because of God's character, that God cannot look upon sin and turn his eye, that he cannot look upon sin and simply allow it into his kingdom. People who go to heaven will go to heaven as sinners saved by grace and their sin must be forgiven. A very simple principle, but a very, very alarming principle. Now we go to Romans 2, 4. Romans 2, 4. I think what we need to do here is embrace how important every single word is. I've got some words in this verse underlined, and we're going to explain these. If you highlight or underline in your Bible, then go ahead and highlight or underline these, and this will make me, this will force me to have to move on and get to these underlined words. I want you to underline in your King James Bible the word despisest. I want you to underline goodness, forbearance, long-suffering, goodness of, again, that'll be the second time you underline goodness, and then the word leadeth, and then repentance. We're going to do our best to get to all of this tonight, and we'll be brief, but I think we should really try to take this apart. Understand this, and if you're making notes, you want to write this down. God's mercy, God's mercy is God withholding what we deserve. Embrace that. Take that in. God's mercy is him withholding what you deserve. And I'm not talking about what we think we deserve as people. I'm not talking about the raise that you feel like you may deserve at work for the hard work, the dedication, and the overtime. But I'm talking about God's mercy as it pertains to him as God and you as a man. You as the seed of Adam. You as that lost, unregenerate person and what God should have done 
And in mercy, he did not do that. He withheld what we deserved. And then the other thing we're going to talk about, we always talk about his mercy, and then we uh, almost every time we'll talk about his grace. But tonight we're going to see a little difference between his grace and his goodness. The difference between God's grace and his goodness. And obviously between mercy and grace and goodness, there are many things that are intertwined. But his goodness, the goodness of God, is his blessing, his provision. It's every breath that you take in this life. And I'm not talking about after you're saved. The blessings of God came upon your life the moment that you took a breath in this world. The moment you were conceived in the womb, God was blessing you. The very moment of inception, God's blessings began to work, whether you acknowledged him or not. The blessings of God have even fallen to the likes of Adolf Hitler. Hitler, one of the most evil, wicked, diabolically horrible people to ever walk the face of the earth, had even seen and experienced the blessings of God. The fact that he breathed air and pumped blood through his left ventricle to all of his major organs, even though he was carrying out evil for most of his adult life, he was a blessed man in the fact and in the sense that God allowed him the few moments to breathe God's air and that his heart would beat blood. And you say, I don't like that. I don't like thinking that he would have access to the blessings of God. We've got to remember perspective here, who we are before Jesus, just as lost, just as undone, just as separated from God because of our nature. It's the mankind disease that we're all born with. But every man on this earth, even people who tonight will say things like there is no God, who will say things like your God is a joke, who will make fun of people who have Bibles, who will make fun of people who believe in something. Those very people in their wickedness and in their evil and even in their workings against the things of God, they're blessed of God. God is such a supreme leader. He is such a supreme ruler. He has so much control that if he was wanting to, if he came to a place where he so desired, God could punish sin the moment it took place. Think of that. If God wanted to, God could, the moment you took your first breath on this earth with the sin nature, God could have said, that's enough. I'll have no more of that. But God in grace and in mercy and in goodness has blessed everyone. It's the uh, grace of God, the mercy of God that's bestowed to every man, woman, boy, and girl. Now, this word here, despisest, or despisest thou the riches of his goodness. This is to think down upon. This word means to think down upon or to underestimate something's value. To look down upon it or to underestimate the value of it. A lot of lost people see Christianity, they see the church, they see the actions of the church, they see the word of God, what little they may know about it, and they see it as something to look down upon. 
They look at God, they look at authority, they look at anything that's in charge or anything that's over them or that can tell them what to do or hold them accountable. Man's nature is to war against that, to push against that, and to look down on it as something of lesser value than what it really is. I thank God that he has boundaries for his children. Say amen. Thank God he has boundaries, he has expectations for his children. God expects something from his children. And Paul's asking the question here, do you despise, do you look down upon the riches of his goodness? Do you underestimate the goodness of God? And that's the problem even for a lot of Christians. We don't understand, we don't know, we cannot even begin to scratch the surface of just how good God's been to us. We get so boxed into our human expectation. We get so label hungry. We get so driven by money and fame and popularity and toys and trinkets. And and in this country, now let me say this before I say anything else. I love my country. I love the United States of America. If you still love your country, you can say amen. Amen, I still love my country. But living outside of this country for most of my teenage years and many of my childhood years, one thing I can tell you about American Christianity it is full of, it is jam-packed with super over-the-top blessed people who have no idea just how blessed they really are. Wave your hand at me if you are able to get running water out of any source in your home today. Praise God, I did too. I had running water in my home. Did you know that the majority of Christians on the other side of the world, on the other hemisphere that we rarely think of as a Christian hemisphere, but did you know that as the church grows there and as the 1040 window is saturated with men like our dear brother that go and preach the word of God to Muslims and Hindus, do you realize that at their moment of conversion and he baptizes them there in the uh, the beautiful Mediterranean Sea and they come out, they go back to homes, many of them that don't have roofs, many of them that don't have running water, many of them walk 18 miles just to get to work and they're Christians. They love Jesus. They even have a Bible in their language. They have so few things that we can identify with and say, well, that's a comfort of life. Yet we have not only the truth and the indwellment of the Holy Spirit of God and our Bible and each other and an air-conditioned sanctuary and lights and screens and padded pews and, and, and a tie and, and we got shoes on our feet and I took a bath today and I got soap somewhere and I, I, I got some cologne on and I, I've eaten a couple meals today and I've got some money in my checking account and there's gas that's in my truck that costs $5 more than it should have, but I'm still blessed, amen? God's been good to me. And sometimes Christians can get the case of the mopies, can get a, a case of the oh, woe is his measles. And in the places where the mopies could be happening, and maybe you would feel justified in them having the mopies, maybe sometimes American Christians need to look to our other brothers and sisters that don't have but maybe one meal a day, or maybe mamas and daddies that have to split a meal for their children and they get nothing. The point is God's been good to us. He says, do you despise the riches of his goodness? 
Now, those are the material things of life. Those are the material things that God's given us. But sometimes we're so blessed materially, we have so many possessions. We have the perfect house. We have the bass boat that we've worked all those years for. We have the, the, the lake house, the, the blessings of God. Little asterisks here, nothing wrong with the blessings of God. Praise God, there were men and women who sacrificed so much for our country to be what it is today. Now, we're doing our dead level best to run it into the ground, but praise God, there were some men and women who did what they did and sacrificed so that we could be blessed. But sometimes we are so blessed and we're so materialistically driven in our lives and the way we perceive our life that when we run in head on, and listen to me now, let this help you, when we run head in or head on to some truth that we find inconvenient, when I run into something in God's word or something that God has validated through his word by the preached word of God in the pulpit, when it runs and somehow runs contrary to what I'm living or it requires more of me or if it puts more accountability on me, if it's going to mess up the perception of what I think I should have and the way I should do it and the way I should have vacation and in the house I should live in, could it be, could it be that maybe God does not want you to work the four extra overtime shifts if it costs you being at church with your family? Could it be that God wants us to step out in faith on some things instead of us backing up and saying, I've got to take control of this. I know the Lord wants me to give an extra $25 a month to missions. I know that the Lord wants me to send that missionary $100. But what if my kids want to do X, Y, and Z? Well, do we not believe that the same God that put that in your heart is the same God that can bring you $500 extra if you'll just be faithful with the $100 that he told you to send? The blessings of God, the goodness of God. Do you despise the truth when it comes and it corrects you? How do you respond with the truth? When God expects more of you and God wants more of your time, despise thou the riches of his goodness? And this word forbearance, we've already talked about this a little bit, but the forbearance, this is God withholding. This is God holding back on what you should have been given immediately. And in love and in grace, he chose not to. Turn with me to Exodus 33. I want to show you something. Exodus 33. Exodus 33. There's a connection here that I want us to see to the story of Moses. Exodus 33. Go to verse number 15. Verse number 15. Moses has asked God for forgiveness. Aaron has sinned. The people have sinned. The new covenant is getting ready to come. The Ten Commandments are getting ready to be given. And in verse 1, the Lord says to Moses, depart and go up hence. God sends Moses on a mission. And God is going to send Moses to do a great and a mighty thing. God's going to communicate with Moses. He's going to talk to him. And Moses knows how heavy this moment is for Israel. 
for Aaron, for all of those who are involved. Verse number 15, and this is Moses. And Moses said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. Moses is saying, God, I know we're in a season of correction. I know you're getting ready to do some things for our nation and we've asked for forgiveness. And if you're going to send me up this mountain, if you're not going to go with me, I don't want to go. I want to stay right here where you are. Look what he says. Moses is asking God. He says, for wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? God, I cannot be separated from you. How will we know that we have found grace in thy sight? You're going to have to hold my hand and constantly remind me of the grace that we have found in your eyes. Verse 17, God answers. He says, And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken. Paul's right there. I'm thankful that sometimes when we'll just get vulnerable with God and we'll say, Daddy, I'm scared. I don't want to go another step that God will hear us. He will listen and he'll do what we asked. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken. For thou hast found grace in my sight. And I know thee by, what does it say? I know thee by the name. I know who you are. I know where you are, Moses. I know exactly what you're going through. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Circle the word glory in verse 18. Moses now is saying, and he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. He's saying, have we found the grace? Verse 17, God reminds him, not only have you found the grace in my sight, but I know your name. And then Moses asks yet again for more. He says, show me thy glory. I want to see your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Go to chapter number 34 and go to verse number five. Moses goes, he obeys God, he goes up the mountain and the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and this is God now. And God proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord is proclaiming the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before Moses. Okay, God is passing by Moses going right in front of him. And listen to what God is telling his faithful servant. The Lord, and then he repeats himself. I love it when God repeats himself. Makes me feel a little bit better about myself. The Lord the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed his head towards the earth and worshiped. The glory of God is found within the goodness of God bestowed upon your life. I'm not a well-seasoned 25-year theologian, but let me give you how God gave me this in my heart. If I understand this principle of God, then when God looks at you and he sees the long roster of the goodness that he has bestowed upon you, your self, your individual person, what God's done in your life, even though you were dead in trespass of sin, even though you were fallen and dying and broken and on your way to hell, even though you were that wicked and that far separated from God, at the moment of your salvation, something so glorious took place that when God looks at you, he sees glory. And he said, Moses, everything's gonna be fine. You keep going. And because Moses obeyed, Moses comes off that mountain with those two big old tablets. And again, redemptive history was changed forever because the obedience of his man. But he said, Moses, I'm already there. The goodness of God. And the apostle Paul is asking, do you despise the riches of his goodness? Some of you are ashamed to share your faith with friends whom it might cost you something with. You're afraid of what your boss might think if he hears you say, no, sorry, I can't work Sunday. I got church and Sunday school. No, sorry, I can't be there Wednesday night. We gonna have church. No, I'm not doing that. I refuse to sign that document, that new SOP. I don't care what county or what state or what governor signed it or made it up. If it goes against the word of God, I'm not participating. And some of us are scared senseless. And what we're saying is, I despise the riches of his goodness. We've lost sight of just how good God's been to us. We've lost sight of the forbearance of God against our sin. God in mercy allowed me to live long enough for the Holy Ghost to do his work. Think about that. He allowed me to live 15 years on this earth lost and undone in grace and in mercy and in goodness that came. He showed forbearance with my sin. You realize more and more what the Apostle Paul is teaching us in these verses. Just how beautiful your salvation is. Just how wonderful it is to be able to look at the person Jesus and not be afraid of condemnation, but rather fear him out of love and respect for what he's done for you. This is why people don't fear God. If you don't understand what the Lord did for you, if you don't understand the righteousness and the holiness, that's why we talked about for an entire sermon, God as a judge. If we lose sight of that, then it's easy for us to live our lives in a way that refuses to acknowledge the forbearance of God's wrath against our evil. 
will always find, go to the beginning of this chapter, we will always find someone worse than we are. Baptists are wonderful at it. Some of the best record keeping I know happens at Baptist churches all over North Carolina. Well, preacher, I messed up, and yeah, I shouldn't have said that, and I shouldn't have done that, and preacher, yes, and preacher, yeah, I, yeah, you're, but let me tell you about what I heard about. Mm. Now, I'm not, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to, to gossip. This is a prayer request. No, you're looking for somebody that you think is worse off than you are. It's human nature. It's so easy. It's so easy. You know where it's easy? Go up here on Haywood Road after church. Have on your suit, your church clothes. Just come from church. Bulletin in your Bibles in your front seat. You turn up here on Hayward Road and you turn left. And you see the demise of our city. You see the grip of sin visible on people's countenance. It's almost like you can see the dark hand of Satan gripping at their throats as it chokes what little life is left in them. And human nature, if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves in a place where we'll go, oh, I'm so glad that's not me. I would never. Oh, goodness, I don't even want to look. That's human nature. The response should be, Lord, thank you for what you did for me. Holy Ghost, thank you that that's not me on that corner asking somebody for a bottle of water because I'm hot and I don't have no money. Lord, thank you that I'm not addicted to a drug that has to go in my vein or that I have to light up and smoke every day of my life just to be able to function. God, thank you for protecting me. And some of you are a great trophy of grace and mercy and you have been there and you do know what it's like and you do know what the drug tastes like and what it feels like going into your vein. You do know what the consumption of a gallon of vodka on a Saturday feels like just so you can function another 18 hours. But God saved you and he called you from death to life, out of darkness to light. And when you see someone in that same condition, it should pity your heart for their condition. God, would you open their eyes? God, would you save them before it's too late? And Lord, use me to be a vessel to carry the word, the good news, the gospel, and let me tell them my story. Friend, I was just like you, lost and undone. And then Jesus found me. You despise the riches of his goodness, the forbearance. And then the next word he used is long-suffering. The patience of God. Oh my. The patience of God. I grew up in church all of my life. Heard the gospel presented a thousand times. Had people pour into me truth year after year. And even at 10 and 11 and 12 and 13 years old. Month after month. On the mission field. And lost. And God could have if he wanted to. Could have looked at Winston Parish and he could have said, My goodness, all that generational blessing. 
All that truth, all that light, he's been around all of his life, even as a young man. I think I've had enough. And God could have still been holy and justified in his action. But the character of my God is to be long-suffering and to be patient with one whom he will save because of the glory of God that reflects upon his bride. It all comes back to his glory. The forbearance, the long-suffering, and then we'll finish with this, 7.30. I want us to go to the repentance. We've talked about the goodness of God as it relates to the glory of God, the goodness and the mercy of God that comes after us when we pursue him. And then he finishes out this thought in verse number four. Let's read this whole verse again. Tell you what, let's read Romans 2, 1 through 4 together. I'm not preaching in Matthew. Let me turn back to Romans. My Bible's beginning to weigh about an extra 30 pounds from bulletins and notes and cards and when I shed all of this, it'll be an easier book to handle. Go to Romans 2, verse number 1. Pastor Nathan, begin to read it. I beat you to it. Do you want me to read it? No, I'm good now. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry I missed your birthday party. Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man. Take that in. Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man. Whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest dost the same things. But we are sure we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that, the, that judgest them which do such things and doth the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? Do you not know that the goodness of God is pointing you in a direction? Do you not understand that the goodness of God is redirecting your life away from what it was towards what God expects, desires, and wants? Do we not, do we not understand that at salvation that comes full and free, that then at that moment there is a turning away, there is a pursuit of not what the old man desires. It doesn't mean that there are not going to be things we struggle with. It doesn't mean that there's not a day you're gonna wake up and crave the things that the old man craves. We're still attached to our flesh. But the new man that lives on the inside, the Bible's clear, is a greater force, is a greater power than he that is in the world. And there is 
something that happens. That when you behold, when it is revealed to you the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, then something should happen to the way you live, the way you conduct your life. It leads you to the act of turning from sin, from turning from your wicked ways. Instead of desiring the things that you once desired, that you pursue the things that God has for you. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians 7, it's the 10th verse. It says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. Are we sorry because we got caught? Or are we sorry because we know we broke God's heart and his law and his requirements? There's a great description by a godly man named J.I. Packer. He says this. He says, repentance means turning from as much as you know of your sin to give as much as you know of yourself to as much as you know of your God. And as our knowledge grows at these three points, so our practice of repentance has to be enlarged, end quote. 2 Peter 3.18 is the qualifier for his quote here, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory, there it is again, both now and forever, amen. Grow in grace and in the knowledge. The more I know about Jesus, the more I know about the character of my God, the more things that I will find wrong with me. The more knowledge I have of God, the deeper my walk of faith, the more I expose myself to the truth of Scripture. Brother Bill, do you know what I find? That I am a serious problem. Winston Parish, apart from God, is a serious problem. And the more truth it's revealed, the more my eyes are open, the more I hunger after righteousness and the goodness of God that is waiting for me if I will pursue it, that is waiting for me if I'll just sit and consume it. And the more of him I know, the better I'll understand who I am. The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance, a turning away from myself. God's grace towards Winston should make Winston a more gracious person. God's mercy towards Winston should cause Winston to be a more merciful person. And God's love towards Winston should cause Winston to be a more loving person. And God's holiness revealed to Winston should release inside of Winston a desire to strive for him, his attributes, and his character. Jai Packer goes on to say that repentance is like an about-face forward march. That I turn from the old ways and I march for Jesus in the new way. And it's the prayer of John 3.30. He must increase, I must decrease. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name.
Take thy word, seal it, change us. God, allow us a moment to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. Change us tonight. God, we do not want to leave this building the same way we came in. We want to be tender. We want to be humble. We want to be as pliable clay in the potter's hand. And Father, as you have us and as you spin us on the wheel and you find the imperfections and you find the holes and the gaps and the bubbles of pride and arrogance that live within the pottery, would you remove us from the wheel and would you start over? Would you get that place out? Would you work it out of us? Would you be the gardener of grace and go to our bush, to our tree and prune the dead limbs that are on our body? Prune us. Help us to live a life that reflects what Jesus has done for us and help us to love those around us. Help us to preach with every action, every word, and every day that you give us, for it is a gift from a gracious God. We love you tonight. Keep us safe as we go home. Meet with us, we ask, this coming Lord's Day. Lord, we need you Sunday. God, I ask you to take over every aspect of the service. God, I once again, as we have now for months, I ask you to take us to that next level. Grow us. Lord, I beg you in Jesus' name that the power of God would be so real and so evident in this place. God, that we won't be able to stand or that we'll just have to bow as Moses did and worship for you are a good God and the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the kindness of God, Lord, it makes me want to worship. And tonight, I thank you. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen.